Can you hear me now? This was a common tagline that was often used in commercials that were very prevalent, especially during my childhood, as it was commonly used by a cellular service, that they were asking that simple question, can you hear me now? Because they wanted to advertise just how prolific their cellular reception was and how far their service could reach. And as often as they used that on tagline, as many times as I heard it on TV, my dad would have likely argued that he had copyright on it first. Because, to be honest, sometimes my brothers and I weren't the greatest at listening. Sometimes he was trying to get our attention and really capture what he was trying to say and capture us so that we would finally listen. We would hear what he was saying. We would obey his commands. We would go do what needed to be done. And so that same phrase he used all the, all the time. But as many times as we might have heard that, and as many times as maybe we've heard that from our own parents, we often have to wonder, whenever it comes to the Lord our God, is he asking the same question? Can you hear me now? Are we listening to the Lord? Are we obeying his command? Are we following where the Lord leads us, especially as he calls each and every one of us by our name? We started off this morning with the first reading from the first book of Samuel. And if you know the history of Samuel, you know that he is a miracle in himself. Because whenever Hannah was in the temple, she was praying and she was asking and petitioning the Lord very fervently for the gift of a child. And she was old and she was barren, and so it seemed very highly unlikely, and yet the Lord granted her a son. And she was elated. She was actually overjoyed. She was overjoyed to the point where she dedicated this child to God, that she gave him over to the temple and service to the temple as she had promised, because she was just elated that the Lord had used her in some way to fulfill his design and his plans. And so he's in the temple at this time under the mentorship of Eli. And as such, whenever Eli is there, they are both there in the temple presence, and we hear this account, that they're both asleep one night. And eventually the Lord starts to call out to Samuel. And so he calls out very simply, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel awakens and he thinks that it's Eli. So he goes to Eli who says, I did not call you, go back to sleep. And then the same thing happens again. And Eli sends him back to bed saying, I did not call you. And yet again, that happens for the third time. And by this time, Eli finally has a moment of realization that he says that maybe this is the Lord that's calling to this youth. And so he says, if you hear this again, then say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so he sends him back to bed one final time. And then the Lord calls out once again, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responds with those beautiful words, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And it's not just at this moment that Samuel responds to the Lord. But notice at the very end, it's kind of a line that we might have looked past as we were getting towards the responsorial song. But it's one that tells us just how deep their relationship was. That Samuel was an ally of the Lord. That it was not permitted that any word of Samuel's would go without effect. So close and so intimate were he and the Lord in their relationship. And so it wasn't just that Samuel was called at one time, but he responded each and every day to the Lord and his invitations. And therefore, any word that Samuel spoke, it was always answered in prayer. And so in fact, that responsorial psalm, it proves very potent as it relates to the first reading. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. Samuel said that in so few words, and yet the Lord rewarded him richly. 
We continue on and we hear from the first letter to the Corinthians from St. Paul. And we have to understand here that the church in Corinth at this time is struggling because there's this perceived dichotomy that faith and religion are over here and ethics and morality are over here. And so the two do not mix. And so what happens is that eventually they get it in their idea that whatever they do with their body, even immorality, adultery, or whatever it might be, all of those things are fine. They're permitted because religion's over here in this lane. And that's the perception that was there at ancient times. But what is St. Paul speaking? Well, he's reminding them that the body is not made for immorality, but it's made for the Lord. So he's telling them the two are not unrelated, but they are intertwined. So religion influences ethics and morality and vice versa, that they go between the two. And so they're very much intermingled. They're one and the other. They cannot be separated any longer. And so as he does such, he starts to tell about why the body is important, that it is that place where God is, that it is made to receive the Lord and the Lord is wants to be within the body what's more we are designed to be a temple of the holy spirit and so in fact we are designed to be a home for the lord and so it's not that the body can be dealt with or disposed of or done anything else with that lessens its dignity but rather it is for the lord it's his place it's a holy place and therefore the lord wants to take it upon himself to be in that temple and so that simple reminder at the very end that one is not designed for immorality the body is designed for the Lord. They have been purchased for a price. Therefore, glorify the Lord by your body. And it's a very simple thing, but the reality is that the implications are vast and numerous. But nonetheless, St. Paul is telling them, don't feel that religion's just over here, but it influences everything, even the use of your own body, that it tells us something even about that. And then finally we reach the gospel and we hear about this encounter between John the Baptist and his disciples and between the Lord. That we just hear that John the Baptist is there with two of his disciples and Jesus ha just happens to be walking by. And John the Baptist takes this moment, he points at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples know what this means. That this is finally the one they've been hearing about. This is the one of their heart's desire. And so what do they do? Well, they start to follow the Lord. But notice, they're a little bit timid at first. Like, they don't make it known that they're following the Lord. But they just kind of follow at a distance, kind of in a cowardly way. Or at least in a way that they're not very confident in what they're doing just yet. But Jesus notices they're following, and he asks them, What are you looking for? And they answer, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And he says, Come and see. And they go, and they see. Now, this isn't just like they drive by his house and look at the front, but rather what this is is that they go in, and they stay with him, and they don't just stay with him for that moment, not just even for the day that we're told about, but they stay with him all the time. That they are not just John the Baptist's disciples any longer, but they transfer their discipleship over to the Lord, because they recognize he's been paving the way for this one. And so they follow him, not just for that day, but every single day. And then notice what else happens. That they are so convinced, they're so convicted, that they are so touched by their encounter with the Lord. What do they do? Well, they go out and tell others. Because we hear about Andrew, he goes out and tells Simon, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one, the one that we've been looking for for so long, that this is finally the one. And so then Simon Peter, he approaches, and Jesus gives him that new name, that you are now Cephas, you are Peter, you are the rock, you are the one that eventually I will build my church upon. 
But nonetheless, it's a beautiful thing because we see that not only two were called into discipleship that day, but they allowed their call to continue to flourish and to multiply and to go out to those around them. They didn't just hold on to good news for themselves, but they went and they told others. But all of these readings, they're trying to tell us something important about that calling. But first, we need to realize the first foundational point with all of this is that we are designed to receive the will of God. Everything about our body, everything about our soul wants to hear the voice of God, and it yearns for it, whether or not we convince ourselves it's true. That every part of us pines to hear that voice of God, for Him calling to us each individually by name. Every part of us wants that, whether we can name it or not. And that's the reality that is painted for us in St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. And it's a beautiful reminder because even as much as that idea of dichotomy might have been present in the church at Corinth at that time, it's even much more prevalent today. That though we might have said, like in ancient times, they didn't have it figured out, well, today we have the same idea. That we've thought that religion's over here and my reality and my faith, or my reality and everything about my ethics and the way that I act is over here. That they're not designed to be separate. That if we do that, if we believe that, if we believe that we can act this way and then our body or whatever it might be is over here, we're doing ourselves a disservice. That we're tearing ourselves apart because we're not designed that way. Rather, we are designed to receive the Word of God. We are designed to hear the voice of God. We are designed to do His will. And in that is found our ultimate happiness and fulfillment. There is nothing else that will truly satisfy like receiving the Lord our God. And that, in fact, is what St. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of in his reading. And so that's important for us to realize first and foremost. We are designed to hear God's voice. We are designed to receive that, to hear him with our ears and to do what he desires. So that is first. We need to realize that because that is foundational to our happiness, to our fulfillments, even though at times things can often go wrong or seem astray. If we do that, we will find a reward in due time. But then the second thing, when we look at the first reading, we focus a lot on Samuel. We hear how he hears the voice of the Lord, and it's a beautiful, heartwarming story. But we have to realize there are two people in this story, and it's not just Samuel. It's also Eli, because notice what happens with Eli. Eli, every time that Samuel hears the voice of the Lord, and bear in mind that they are in the temple of the Ark of the Covenant, it would be equivalent to as if we were sleeping in the church with the tabernacle in our presence. That in the midst of all of this, their voice is calling out, and Eli is confused. He doesn't know where Samuel is hearing this voice from. And in fact, that tells us something about Eli's own heart. It's become cold. It's become complacent. That it is not hearing the voice of the Lord as fully as it could. And therefore, he is slumbering, he is sleepy, that he is not quite aware of where the Lord is. And it takes three separate times for him to finally figure out that the Lord is trying to speak to this youth. He's trying to speak to Samuel. And it's then that he finally tells Samuel, tell him, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. But then there's the other choice, that there's the choice of Samuel. Because notice, Samuel doesn't just answer once. That the voice of the Lord doesn't just come to him and elicit a response just that one time. But it's again and again and again. That it is four separate times that the Lord calls to him. And imagine if this was happening to us. Imagine if the Lord was calling to you and you didn't know his voice. And that he woke you up four separate times in the middle of the night. I don't know about you, but I'd probably be pretty frustrated that I would become complacent and I would just simply roll over and go back to sleep. But Samuel didn't. 
Because Samuel was trying to figure out, where is this voice coming from? Who is calling to me? Why is my heart resonating with this voice? And that is because it's the Lord's. But he responded. He heard his name called, and he answered time and time again, even in the times when it didn't seem to have much effect. And eventually the Lord rewarded him, and he starts to answer his prayers to where we're told that there wasn't a word of Samuel's that didn't go without effect. But are we so convinced? Are we going to live our life that way? Do we feel that we can listen to the voice of the Lord when he calls to us? Because there's so many things that get in the way and so many things that can cause us to lose sight or even lose reception or maybe be deafened to the voice of God to the point of he might be calling out to us, do you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And many times we can't. And many times there are different things that are in our way. That we live in a noisy environment filled with all sorts of technology, all sorts of distractions, all sorts of things that do get in the way of our relationship with God. Make no mistake about that. And so sometimes it's hard to hear because of those things. That we're not setting aside enough time for the Lord to actually be able to speak to us. And so we feel that He's not there or just simply we can't hear His voice. So we go about our own thing. Or maybe our own voice is too loud. Maybe sometimes that we've got our own ego, our own pride, our own vanity, that it's surrounding our head with so many different things that we can't be bothered to listen to the voice of the Lord because we can't hear it over the sound of our own voice, as sweet as it might be. That the reality is that sometimes that voice, it deafens us so much to the Lord that we're just simply living by our own will, by our own desire. And sometimes we can even overcome the voice of the Lord and convince ourselves that we are God, or at least we think we know what God wants, when in reality we're going the complete opposite direction. And sometimes we need to realize that, we need to admit that to ourselves, that number one does have a very strong voice, but we're not designed to be number one. God is. So sometimes we need to put aside that own self-seeking. Sometimes we need to put aside those own self-interests. Or sometimes we lose faith that God is speaking at all. That we feel like in the midst of everything and we get lost in the population and the entire world and in the billions of billions of people. And therefore we simply rely upon ourselves because we feel like the Lord couldn't be bothered to pay attention to us. Or we wonder about all the things that are going on. It just seems like he's not paying attention. But what does faith tell us? That if we are persistent, if we continue to answer the Lord, He is speaking to each and every one of us. Make no mistake about that. But sometimes we need to continue to persist. That even in the midst of trials and fears and weaknesses and failures, and even in the midst of grief and strife, that if we continue to persist and listen, God will answer. God will give us what we need. We just need to continue to listen like Samuel did. Or maybe sometimes he's trying to speak in ways that we're not aware of. Maybe he's speaking in those around us. Maybe he's speaking in those that are telling us to have patience, to, don't have, to have no fear, to respond to the Lord, to give him your heart and your soul in a new way. And we've just deafened ourselves because we say, oh, they say that all the time. Or maybe they're not worth listening to because they live this way or do that. Or maybe they're too idealistic. But what if they're right? What if what they're saying to you is true? What if that is the way that the Lord is trying to get to you because he's been trying to get to you in all sorts of different ways? Because the Lord is calling to each and every one of us by name. And that doesn't mean he's just calling out our name abstractly and letting us do what we want. But he has a design, he has a will, he has a plan. And he is calling to each and every one of us in this church in a different way today. That he is calling out to you, he's trying to move you in a particular direction. 
Have you taken the time to consider what that is? Can you hear the voice of God? Are you taking the time to listen? And then the final thing is maybe one of the more difficult in our day and age, that we need to share that calling with others. Because notice in the Gospel of John, what are we told? That the disciples of John, they heard the voice of the Lord, they followed, and then what did they do? Well, they went and they shared that calling with others. That they heard the good news, they saw that the Lord was in their midst, and they wanted to tell others and invite them into relationship with the Lord. But are we convinced enough? Are we encouraged enough to go forward and to tell others about the way that we've encountered Christ? Because make no mistake about it, as much as we might think the disciples of John the Baptist had an advantage that day, how the Lord was passing in their midst, how much more indicted would we be? Because Jesus Christ is right there in our church. He is there every single day, every moment of that day, that he is there and he is begging for an encounter with each and every one of us, but not just with us, but with others. Because in the same way that Jesus passed through the midst of those disciples and they followed, he passes through our midst so often too. But that's because he's begging for that response. He's begging for us to listen and to hear his voice so that we can go and tell others. And we shouldn't have this live and let live mentality. We shouldn't say our way is one amongst many. That we shouldn't say that, well, they've got their faith or lack of faith over there, and that's fine, I've got mine. And it makes me comfortable, it makes me reassured. No, we have the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one else, no other religion, past, present, or future, that will ever have what we have. And that is the presence of Jesus Christ. But we need to be so convicted so that we can go tell others. And we need courage. We need the ability to go and tell others unabashedly and in a way that is not cowardly. That we need to go forward and tell others about this faith. Because it is so beautiful, it's so powerful, but it leads us to the will and the voice of God. And that, in fact, is what we're encouraged to do today. Because Jesus Christ is calling to each and every one of us. And many times we hear, and sometimes it's a little bit harder, sometimes it may be more difficult. But the fact doesn't ever change. The Lord is calling. And the question I would ask on his behalf to each and every one of us today, can you hear me now?